HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. I'm your host, director of the Greenhorns Severin, calling in today with our our hero, Joel Salatin. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you? I'm doing gr- just great. Just great. How about how's, down, how's the weather down there? Well, it's been raining most of today, and of course we have uh, we have our last cutting our last fields of hay on the ground, so. Uh, we'd, we'd like the sun to come out, but, uh, the rain will grow some grass, so I think we'll survive. So, um, I'm actually in France right now. I'm on an international tour meeting young farmer organizers across Europe in six countries, being paid, um, to travel by the National Farmers Union, and people all over the world are talking about you. You know, they're, they're talking about Joel Salatin, except for they mispronounce your name sometimes. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a show about young farmers, and our audience is almost completely young farmers. I wanted to hear right right from the start what you've been seeing in the applicants that have been applying to your farm and the young people who you've been working with um, and teaching, uh, the character as you see it of this new movement and, and its prospects. Well, I think... I think, uh, well, for one thing, there are simply way more, uh, you know, way more young people interested in this than ever before. Um, you know, we've watched the in, the applicants uh, come up to our intern program. We take eight or nine a year, a, a summer, and um, uh, last year we jumped up over 300 for, for the eight spots. So uh, certainly for one thing, we're seeing a lot more. Uh, numbers, which is a, which is a great thing, and, and that's not just for us. It's it's uh, other farmers I talk to that run intern programs. Uh, there, it's 
it's pretty consistent across the board. The, the truth is that, um, that I think that this young generation, uh, if we'd say the, you know, if we, we say anywhere from uh, 17 to 30 right now, is, um, is realizing that they're going to have to be the, um, you know, the regeneration generation. Uh, you know, we had the we had the agrarian economy, then the industrial economy, then the information economy, and now it's going to be the regenerative economy because uh, there's a lot of concern about things around the world, and um, and so anyway, we, you know, we, we see a, we see a tremendous interest in it. I think I think many many uh, young people are ready to embrace uh, a farming vocation if they felt like they could actually make a living at it. Hallelujah. And it and what it sounds like is that you have put your you put your mind uh your prolific writing skills to work. Chelsea Green is coming out in a couple of weeks or months with a new book by you called Fields of Farmers: Interning, Mentoring, Partnering, Germinating. Sounds like it's all about the transition of our agricultural economy to the next generation and I and I thought perhaps you could reflect a little bit about how um, how critical it is that these young people can get into the industry or to the movement or to the land, yeah. um, and some of the yeah, ways well, that you heard people get access. Yeah, well, for sure, the um, you know the need is has never been greater. Um, I don't think there's ever been a time in human civilization when uh, the age of the average farmer is sixty years old. It's it's roughly sixty in all the developed world, uh, you know, Australia, the U.S., Europe, um, and it's, believe it or not, it's almost 70 in Japan, so it's even more acute uh, in Japan. I don't know what it is in South Korea, but I imagine it's, you know, it's similar to what it is in Europe. And uh, so this is, this is not just a U.S. issue. This is a worldwide issue of the aging farmer uh, from, a, you know, from, from a business standpoint, Generally, any time the average practitioner in an economic sector is younger than 35, that is an economic sector that is in decline. And so, of course, we haven't seen an average of an age 35 in farming in the developed countries for a very, very long time. The problem is that when the, when the, capital, uh, the, the capitalization hurdles, for entrance are so large, young people can't get in, and if young people can't get in, then the old people can't get out. That's that's the short uh, deal. And so um, I see this as one of the most acute problems in the entire uh, you know in the entire food and farming sector uh, because it, it you know it doesn't matter if you know how to make compost or know how to grow things. Uh, if if you don't have the people with the know-how to be able to do that, it 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 really doesn't matter. And the fact is, there is land, um, you know, there is land available that's being grossly underutilized, and um, most of that is owned by sixty-year-old people who are kind of done being, you know, innovative, uh, and so. The, the, what I see is that the average farmer believes 
that he or she is doing the most they can. Of course they believe that because they come, they come in tired at night, right? And, and the fact is that the average farm in the world is only being used about 10% of its potential due to lack of, lack of hands, lack of labor, lack of innovation and creativity and, 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 uh, and partnerships. And so um, what I'd like to see is this, all this land that's owned by people over 50 years old develop complementary uh, complementary partnerships with young people so that young people can ease in without having to buy the land, the equipment, the buildings, and all that, can a- essentially uh, partner in with complementary uh, businesses to leverage the land and the infrastructure that's already there and build a salaried income along you know alongside the older generation that's that that's the idea and that's exactly what we're doing here at our farm and uh and that's why I've you know I've I've kind of used us as a as an example uh to explain to you know to encourage people uh and and make them enthusiastic about the possibility for these multi-generational partnership type arrangements well it's and I like what you're saying a lot about the character of the food system we need, or the, or better said, the farm economy we need, is one which encourages innovation and allows for new people with new ideas to try things differently, to build for more resilience, to have operations on multiple scales. That it, it seems like that's the character of a food system that would be more adaptive or resilient to um, changes in the marketplace and changes in the climate. Uh, well, absolutely. What are you thinking about in your own family? How are you? How are you guys moving forward? Yeah. Well, the the thing that we're doing is um, that the the young people who come. I mean, obviously we have the interns, and then it partly through the four month internship they can apply to be an apprentice, which is twelve months, and then after that. Um, some of them leave. I mean, most of them leave, obviously, to go to the do start of their own things. And, and by the way, we have never had one leave that didn't have probably ten offers of, of partnerships and places to, to go. So, you know, there's, there's, there is a, an absolute overage and abundance of opportunities uh, out there for young people. The problem is the old people... Um, and I'm, I'm using old and young here, obviously, very, uh, <laughs> very informally. Uh, um, the old people are pretty skittish uh, about taking on a young person without a track record. And so an internship, apprenticeship-type program or a partnership-type program um, you know, creates a track record. It, it, it kind of vets the young person because you know, the, the, the downside of all this interest is what we've found is that that uh, many of the young people who think they want to farm, um, you know, don't have the character or the, you know, the, the perseverance and the faithfulness to actually pull it off. So, uh, you know, so, so that's an issue. So what we're doing is that um, we want to let, to, if a young person wants to stay on our farm, uh, we simply ask them, well, so how do you want to earn a living? In other words, we don't see it our responsibility to create a vision and say, 
um, uh, we need we need young people to fill these jobs. We don't want people to fill jobs. What we want is for young people to come to us and say, under the polyface umbrella, here's how I want to earn a living. And so right now we have a young uh, a young uh, lady who who wanted to stay, and so she um, she put together a farm tour plan. So for the first time in our history, we've been able to offer tours for school children. She conceived it, she runs it, she markets it, uh, does the whole thing, and that's her, you know, that's her, what we call a fiefdom. Young people, young people want fiefdoms, um, and, and all of us need spheres of responsibility. So we don't want uh, employees and just, you know, filling jobs we want people that are entrepreneurial, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, self-starter uh, people who will create their own fiefdom. We had another young lady who wanted to stay with us. What do you want to do? She said, well, I'd like to, I'd like to do the gardens and, and make a business with gardening. So she has taken over all of our horticulture, and she decides what to plant, how much. Uh, we've sat down and, and prioritized a, 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 you know, a marketing for her, so she, she has a, a definite you know, plan for who gets you know, first dibs and second dibs and third dibs, and and she's running uh, the gardens as her own as her own business, and you know that's her own deal. We rent several farms, and we have young people on those farms, you know, raising things that that come in under our uh, under our polyface umbrella. I mean, even our delivery driver is not on wages. He's based on commission. We have we have a couple of uh, uh, people that do mar- uh, commission based marketing for us, and uh, so the idea is that that we simply provide a germination mat, if you will, a germination mat for the gifts and talents of young people who want to come and decide how they want to earn a living, and if it fits within our you know our overall structure and vision, um, you know, uh, go for it. And if somebody leaves to go start their own thing elsewhere, you know, somewhere, we don't feel compelled to find somebody to fill that to fill that niche anymore. Uh, that that niche can come and go. That that particular thing, whether it's shiitake mushrooms or you know a baking operation or whatever, uh, that can come and go based on the gifts and talents we happen to have on you know on staff at the time. And that takes a huge responsibility off of the shoulders of the farmer because now suddenly the farmer doesn't have to be responsible for providing jobs and, and, and overseeing all these employment things. Rather, the farmer simply, simply needs to uh, uh, you know, create, create partnership agreements or, or, or memorandums of understanding with a, a, you know, with a cadre of young people, whether it's one, two, three, four, five, that then build their own enterprises, whether it's pastured poultry under orchard whether it's, you know, an egg-laying operation next to a dairy that has passed through, you know, passed through grain through the cows that the chickens can uh, pick out, whether it's maybe somebody that develops a woodworking operation on a farm that has forestry and as a byproduct generates carbon that can be used in the composting. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a million permutations to the theme. So this has been a major discussion on FarmHack. I'm sure you know about FarmHack. It's an open source community online where people who are developing tools and um, processing units 
work and share their share their designs with each other and, and, and hack and tweak and improve. And there's been a lot of discussion on there about um, trailer-based infrastructure, so from milling to biodiesel processing to oil seed pressing, on down the line, you know, we're all familiar with mobile processing units for chickens, yes. but yes. Um, the, the technology that we're focusing on that seems to be emergent within that community of open source, um, you know, tool makers within the farming world, within the young farming world, exactly fits the model that you're talking about, which is movable... Yes. Swap it out, you know, when, you, when yeah. you grow up too big of a size to be able to use it, you know, just sell it off to the next person who's starting their operation from, from scratch yeah. and, and, and upgrade for what yeah, you need well, for well, next. Yes, and I would even go one step further, and uh, I've kind of coined the term, I, I, I haven't seen it anywhere, maybe, maybe it's not new with me, but um, I kind of coined the term the portable farm. What we're looking for is, is portable infrastructure. Because if you have think think about think about a farm. When I say the word farm, what we're talking about is what some person has done to to a piece of land. If if you take the farmer away from the farm, the farm is not a farm anymore. It's just a you know it's a park or a, or a wild area or whatever. So it is it is what the farmer the person brings to a piece of land that makes it a farm and not something else. And so if, we, if that farmer can use portable infrastructure from uh, yeah, exactly chick incubators to sawmills to, to um, um, you know, shelters, cattle shelters, uh, dairy parlors, um, <laughs> canneries, kitchens, whatever, uh, if, if all of that infrastructure can be portable, then suddenly it takes the land, it takes the, the land capitalization completely away from the farming equation. And as soon as you take the land capitalization away from the farming equation, uh, equation suddenly the equity of the farm is not so much in infrastructure. The equity of the farm is in management and information. And when the equity is in management and information, that is not something you have to borrow from a bank or capitalize with cash. You capitalize that with time, savvy, and creativity. That fundamentally reduces the hurdle of entry for young people to enter farming. Wow. Yes. Um, I want to make sure everyone knows they can go and check out things like pedal-powered root washers, small axle combines, and other yes. units that are movable on farmhack.net. But I want to talk right, go right to the core of that. We're talking about equity. We're talking about fairness. We're talking about the price of land for real estate and the value of the use of that land and the stewardship and improvement of that land by the next generation who most times can't afford to get, to get ownership rights to that land. Could you reflect a little upon what, what kind of financial relationship makes sense for the startup farmer and how do you, how do you um, help how do you imagine that will evolve over time? So year one, we know the young farmer is going to be dumping all their cash into infrastructure and getting their systems running. But over the longer term, how do we prepare the landowning, the landowning party for um, the need that that young farmer will have eventually to be able to borrow 
and be able to tap into some of that equity? Well, that's a, it's a great question, and, and uh, I'll say right at the top, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure anybody has the definitive answer. I mean, uh, you know, in, in Europe, uh, there's, there's, what's, there's tenureage, and um, uh, you know, that, that, has, that has, you know, been a, a technique that's, that's been used. I mean, indeed, in, in much of Europe, uh, the, the royalty created a long-term, you know, um, a long-term land uh, things. But that, you know, that has the problem with, you know, creating a, a kind of a peasant class, if you will. And so um, somewhere along the line, I mean, here I can tell you just kind of what we're, do, what we're doing is um, we have leased several properties because landowners trust us. They don't trust these young people, but they do trust us because we have a track record. We've been here for a long time. And they can come to our farm, and we can say, you know, if we lease your farm, here's, you know, here are the kind of things you're going to see. And so there's a track record there. And so we lease the farm. But then, um, if a young person wants to join our team, then that young person can be placed. And then we then we ask that young person to tell us, well, what would you like to do? How much do you need to earn, you know, to to, to do what you want to do on this place. Now, we're obviously in pasture-based livestock. And so, typically, you know, our, our um, agreements center around, you know, livestock, uh, poultry and different things. And so, we have a whole set of, of things we can, we can pay. And, and, of course, their, their marketing is coming in under the polyface umbrella. And, um, and, so it's a way for us to let the brand name grow, but with a completely decentralized bottom-up power structure, uh, so that the so that the, all the uh, the power is located, you know, at the bottom. And uh, so we have everything from, uh, you know, we we provide you the cows and pay a certain per diem for moving them every day, to. Uh, you know, you can own your own chickens and process them yourself, and we'll pay one price. If we process them, it's another price. In other words, what we want to do is create different levels of remuneration based, based on who takes risk. And, of course, the, the landlords, uh, we try to go to as long a term lease as possible, but, you know, one of the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest issues is getting landlords to understand that this is not a, you know, this is not a stock or a bond. It's not a derivative. It's not traded on Wall Street. And so the landlords that work well for us are landlords that understand they're in it for the long haul and that the land, uh, we don't want landlords who are planning to, to trade their land out, who, who are land traders or land speculators. We want people who have no intention of selling their land, and they're looking for stewardship. They're looking for beauty, stewardship, and ecological uh, enhancement from somebody that knows how to do it because they don't know, you know, because the landlord doesn't know how to do it, doesn't want to do it, can't do it, whatever. 
And so that's the kind of arrangement that works the best. I wish that there were some kind. I would love to or to make some, you know, ninety-nine year, you know, tenureage arrangements. Um, I'm, you know, I'm familiar with some of those in Great Britain. They they uh, have become extremely cumbersome for landlords who suddenly want to to make a change in in maybe you know no chemical farming or something like that or direct marketing, and they and 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 uh, they would like to change. Uh, people to rent the land, but you know they're they're forty years into this ninety nine year lease, you know, and so they can't get rid of the sixty year old guys that have been renting for forty years, um, and, and and do something new with their land without chemicals or or growing corn or whatever, and so you know that's certainly not a perfect system either. Uh, I wish there were a good arrangement, but the fact is, you know, life is risky, and all these arrangements are risky and. And um, I, I, I just I, I just think that, that one of the big answers is the portable farm because if if things go south with the land, if you have a portable farm with most of your infrastructure that you can put on a trailer and leave, then then if things go south with the landlord, then then you 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 just go somewhere else. You you find somebody else. And I, I know that this you know sounds like some sort of a you know a gypsy. Uh, you know, a gypsy farming movement, but um, you know, at, at least at least you can pursue your dream, and um, and and uh, yeah, there's just no perfect system. There's no perfect system. I think it's an amazing case model, and I'd love to add it to the list of strategies that we have been suggesting to our community of young farmers. Um, we've just gone to the trouble of starting a new organization called Agrarian Trust whose focus is exactly land access for the next generation. I wanted to contextualize this conversation a little in terms of the scale of land transition that we're looking at here. We're talking about 400 million acres of land that's about the size of the Louisiana Purchase that's destined to change hands in the next 20 years here in the United States. A third of all agricultural land is predicted to move to change ownership in the next 10 years. So this, the, 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 you know, while we see a, an explosion of young farmers, a lot of new people getting started, getting trained, getting businesses going, um, that's a lot of land. <laughs> I, well, it, I wonder it is if a lot could... of land, and, and yes, and, and that, you're exa- you've hit the nail on the head. It's exactly the issue we're dealing with and why I think this, this uh, successional, the successional discussion is, you know, is, is central uh, to food and farming, and of course, in our country, uh, in the U.S., you know, we we the tax policy, the Internal Revenue Service and Inheritance and Estate Tax Policy, does everything possible to make it uh, to make it to make it difficult for the next generation to even you know to even transfer the land to the next generation, and uh, and and we're the we're the first civilization, I think, in history. To actually put a lot of impediments in in making that that land transfer um, uh, easy, I mean even even tribal cultures where there is no personal ownership of land, they they still uh, transitioned the kind of the the uh, you know, areas of responsibility 
multi generationally. You know, if your dad, if your if your dad or, or mom, you know, uh, had a, a certain area that they were kind of responsible for, then the children kind of got that area that they were responsible for, and that's kind of been a time honored recognition. In our country, we're doing everything possible to try to, uh, you know, to, to try to destroy that. So, uh, so yeah, it, it is a time of unprecedented opportunity. Now, you know, it could be. Uh, it, it, it will be very, very interesting to see, um, and I'm sure you're, you know, reading, you know, real estate material and things. There are some fairly, uh, what, you know, knowledgeable people that think that land prices will, will actually collapse, that there's going to be so much available land that, that land prices will collapse. I have no idea if that's going to happen, um, but... But yeah, when land changes hands at a scale that you're discussing, it could be that, that it will drop. Here's what I would tell a young person. I would tell a young person, this has certainly been our experience, that if you know, if you know how to make a piece of land attractive, beautiful, interesting, compelling, if you know how to do that and you will never, you will never lack for a piece of land to to, to be on, whether it's owned or unowned. Uh, it, it, the 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 the, uh, the weak link is not necessarily access to land. The weak link is is developing a track record that's marketable to landlords uh, anywhere. A track record that indicates. A, a compelling place that a landlord looks at it and says, "Man, that's what I want my place to look like." And it, if if you can do that, whether it's produce, animals, forestry, uh, you know, permaculture, biodynamics, whatever, if you can make a compelling landscape, you will never lack for land. There you have it, kids. Get yourself skilled, and opportunity will follow. I, um, I think that we have also the responsibility to build in that, in the culture, in the culture at large, in the culture of our sustainable ag movement, and in the increasing numbers of strategic investors, social investors, philanthropically minded folks who are interested in farmland as an investment. The, the cultural perspective to understand how that relationship needs to work and, and, and that it's got to be um, really equitable and reciprocal and familial um, over time. So I think, you know, you're really, it really drives it home when you talk about indigenous cultures who figured out how to transition stewardship um, from generation to generation. I think that's, that's the major cultural project. That yes, I'm, that and, I'm and I, to I'd like to take that one step further. I think it goes one step further, and that is, yes, I agree with you. Uh, there needs to be a, an understanding of agrarian investment, and I'm familiar with some of these. Uh, you know, and I've, I've worked with young young people who have got involved with these. But for the most part, these these um, investors do not appreciate or understand farming at all. And so what they do is they come in and, and, and buy, uh, buy farmland and then, um, and then want to rent it for, 
you know, $150 an acre or whatever. It's, it's some crippling, you know, crippling rent. And, um, and so I think the, the biggest, you know, perhaps the biggest cultural issue is that we still have this mentality of the peasant farmer. And uh, uh, one of the things that we actually work with uh, on, our, on our landlords, we, we rent about nine, we, I mean, we own the farm that mom and dad bought in 1961, but, but uh, we, we also now lease, a, a rent another nine properties, and we are constantly working to, um, how can I say this um, nicely, to coaching, to, You're coaching? Curry, to, to curry respect, to curry respect from somebody who, for example, made their money in engineering, building nuclear power projects or whatever, or, or you know, at Microsoft or whatever. Uh, you know, these, these people have, have, have made their money. They, they bought this, you know, they bought this farm because that's what you do when you make a lot of money is, you know, you buy your, you buy your place in the country. And, and um, we, are, we are constantly um, battling is the only way I can say it. We're, we're, we constantly battle psychologically for respect as farmers that, that, that I, I will say even I, if I could say that, even I uh, am, am viewed as this, you know, as you're just a farmer, you know, and farmers aren't supposed to earn any money. They're supposed to, you know, uh, wear rags and, and, you know, their kids are, you know what I'm saying? And, and, it's, and it's a tragedy, and we, and we need... We need, yes, we need investors. Yes, we need landlords. Uh, we need trust uh, preservation groups, trust companies, whatever. But the, the main thing we need is, to, is, is for aspiring, young, articulate, sharp farmers, and I'll talk now to the young people, you young people that want to be farmers, get rid of your bib overalls, get rid of the hay seeds in your hair, get a business suit, get on some, you know, uh, read widely, learn Learn some business terms. Learn about you know equity and gross margin, and 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 be able to to stand as a, 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 a well as, as a Jeffersonian intellectual agrarian. You know to to be because we're standing toe to toe with you know Fortune 500 companies and the kind of people that have earned money out there, and we need to present a very professional view. And so with our landlords, you know we are constantly. Sending them emails, letting them know what we're doing. Um, we, we try to take pictures. Here's what we're doing with your land. Isn't this beautiful? And, and you and you are you are constantly massaging that relationship so that there's a mutual trust and respect between the two parties. Yeah, I would only add to that list: negotiation skills, communication skills, yes, documentation skills. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. You're you're dead on. Yes. Well, I um I have to take it offline to 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 ask you if you you're this is just so right on with exactly the focus I've taken um with Agrarian Trust and um I'll ask you off the air if you'll join the board. But um but wow, this is so wonderful to hear from a leader like you, the kind of solidarity we need to begin a conversation. I think it's critical that we not stand alone, mano a mano, young farmer versus capitalist, but are joined by the whole community of stakeholders, by our neighbor farmers, by our mentors and um, former trainers, as um, and by the people who 
stand to benefit from the food that we grow. I think we've really got to, to build out the this this space a lot a lot more in the coming years. So I look forward to doing that with you together, sir. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know if you have any announcements. I'm going to make a couple, and then you can tag on. We've got a bunch of farm hack events coming up. July 4th, up at Juniper Hill Farm in the Adirondacks. Adam Hayner will be showing off many of his homemade welded goodies, from water wheels to onion choppers to flame weeders and soil packers. And, I mean, he's just made like 75 tools out there um, from pieces of old metal. He'll be showing that off on July 4th in partnership with NOFA New York. Then on September 27th at the Animal Powered Field Days, in um, Vermont, we have another farm hack. Farm hack will be at Mofka. Farm hack will be at Farmaid. Farm hack will be at Moses. We've also got a young farmer mixer in Stanfordville, New York. That is on August 4th. Check our calendar. Get on the mailing list. Show up. We look forward to seeing you very soon. Um, I am going to be spending this next month traveling around to six countries in Europe, meeting with young farmers, organizers, activists, policy wonks, and folks interested in land access to get an international directory going of young farmer initiatives. So I'll be bringing that back with me um, and typing it up now and continuing to type it up, and we're publishing it along with the 2014 New Farmers Almanac. So that's it from Greenhorn World. Any any events or announcements you want to make there with your last minute? <laughs> well, simply that uh, that the book Fields of Farmers on this issue um, we're in the final stages of layout, and uh, it should be available uh, from Chelsea Green and through you know Amazon.com and whatever. You know, um, we're saying the first of October. I really think it's going to be ready more like the first of September. But anyway. It's uh, it's imminent. It's um, it's 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 hard hitting. Has a lot of the very things that we talked about: the portable farm, the partnerships. It has a bunch of uh, templates of our of our agreements to help old older farmers and young farmers see how to craft some of these arrangements so all parties are protected in a respectful way. So I'm very excited about that and hope it will help this whole uh, successional movement. Well, and we hope that you don't mind if we call you up and get some of those templates all out on the Internet as well. If this is an interesting issue to you, please check out agrariantrust.org and read about some of the stories and strategies that others have employed to get sustainable, enduring, um, satisfying tenure on the land. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. See you out there. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.